Welcome everybody to this week's Science Metaverse podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Keita Funakawa. And I'm your co-host, Steve McCloskey, coming at you from the Metaverse right now. So we're both in VR again today in Nanum, but the difference is that we're actually physically next to each other. Been at the long conference, right? ACS this whole week, the American Chemical Society uh, has been doing a big conference in uh, downtown San Diego. And yeah, we got a lot of the team members here, including yeah. Kenta. And- how, is, how is showing people uh, the science metaverse at ACS? Man, people are always blown away. Um, yeah, even if they, you know, tried the roller coaster zombie video game, whatever thing in VR before, um, you know, seeing the molecules and actually like getting hands on with science, uh, people love it. So yeah, yeah, really uh, well received. Any, any notable highlight, uh, kind of demos that you did or some cool reactions or did anybody say the words metaverse? Uh, I mean, we said the words metaverse, but yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, the science community has their metaverse built out yet. And, and yeah, I think that Nanom is like a very early iteration of like what the science metaverse is going to become. So yeah, I, I think that they've had very little exposure to VR and immersive environments, uh, specifically for science. So well, not uh, just VR. We also had them check out the Vario, right? Yeah, they were trying the the mixed reality Vario high resolution pass through headset. Um, Sh- shout out XR three. Yeah, shout out to the Vario team for helping support ACS, and uh, yeah, also shout out to the HTC Vive Focus three team for also supporting the ACS conference. Yeah, it was really cool to. Ha- this was our first conference conference going with hardware partners uh, yeah. like HTC and Lenovo and Vario. So um, that was really cool to have such a large presence. And, um, you know, we're only going to, you know, have bigger presence going forward. And it makes sense, right, that the science metaverse will be a everlasting presence at these physical conferences. Or, I mean, you know, these physical conferences are like temporary metaverses anyway, right? So temporary physical verses, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the 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 meat verse, uh, science science meat verse, where everyone could potentially spread COVID. Although you know, as vaccines required, and a lot of people had masks, and of course, you know, we did daily testing to make yep. sure we weren't giving anyone COVID. Yep. Um. But yeah, and the the virtual metaverse, right? You know, no longer are uh, tied to that meat body where you could spread communicable diseases, and yeah, now we're able to. Meet up virtually, and I, yeah, I want to see a, like a conference as big as ACS with thousands of people uh, from around the country, around the world, all just kind of meeting up in the metaverse. We're gonna get there someday. Yeah, We're, we are on that journey. Well, and that's a great segue into our first story, which is actually about Qualcomm setting up their first one hundred million dollar fund for the uh, for metaverse investments. And actually, this is not you know, if I were to correct myself, it's not the first fund they've had. Uh, that's metaverse related. They have had a like immersive AR VR fund, I believe, before, um, or at least they had previous funds before that invested in AR VR companies. Um, and so, really awesome to see that. I think um, they were they invested in Alchemy Labs, which uh, was the who are the creators of um, Vacation Simulator and. What was the other one? Job Simulator. Job, Job Simulator. simulator. Thank yeah, you. I mean, it's a popular one, right? Job Simulator. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. as well as uh, the Rick and Morty uh, experience in, in XR, that Alchemy, I think, is, uh, makes that. So yeah. I know that, you know, Qualcomm's obviously with their, snap, you know, XR3, XR2 uh, chips that, or wait, they, 
Do they, the current one's XR2, right? Uh, yeah, Quest 2 and all that is XR2. I think they are working on XR3. Because, um, like, Snapdragon, what, 835 was the XR2. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's been. It, it's, it's interesting, been actually. The, past the, few years. the fund name is the Snapdragon Metaverse Fund. It's not the Qualcomm. Well, because you think about it, right? Like, you know, right now we're in the Oculus. You know, we also love the HTC Vibe Focus 3, you know, both great headsets. But at the end of the day, like, they're both kind of like Qualcomm headsets. It's not really a meta headset and HTC headset like this is a Qualcomm chip with some lenses with a nice display with tracking you know all these things but really it's that Qualcomm chip that's driving these standalone VR experiences until of course you know maybe Apple will come into the game with like an M1 uh, silicon chip or something like that yeah. yeah you know what's interesting is on that note right is the like you, you know uh, there were some rumors apparently that meta is disbanding their own like chip like or OS or, or something like that like um exploration but you know it's it, it right now everything standalone or all in one devices is being powered by uh, or at least that's on the market right is is powered by um the XR2 XR uh series and so um really interesting to see that you know another thing too on the note about in the in the article that we pulled up here is actually by CoinDesk um and they talk about how um, the metaverse infrastructure development crosses paths with the crypto industry um, and uh, involvement of blockchain and decentralized applications. Um, and so, you know, Qualcomm has been relatively silent slash on the sidelines when it comes to mining um, and th- that sort of thing. You know, like NVIDIA is crushing it on that end, right? Um, and so, but they both crush it when it comes to AR, VR. And, and so it would be interesting to see what kind of like, what ways? I mean, maybe this is Qualcomm's way of trying to get into the crypto side of things uh, without making a crypto fund. You know, that would be kind of interesting to see to how they play it plays out, right? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, like like crypto mining because I, I think they're going really hard with selling these chips for you know XR headsets and experiences, and you know that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I I think I have seen some like uh, scientific clusters of like different cell phone chips. But it's all like highly customized because you need to build like cooling systems and all these things that phone chips aren't usually set up for. You know, they're usually kind of like a low power device because you want to run it off the mobile battery all day for a lot of hours. Um, but, but, you know, with the NVIDIA GPUs or AMD or, you know, any really just, you know, big GPU you would put in a computer. Yeah, you want to overclock it. You want to get all the fans, all the cooling, as much juice as you can because you're really trying to run a lot of calculations. So. Um, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, maybe this metaverse fund is going in that direction, or maybe it's just funding the uh, spatial computing side. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. You know, a hundred million dollar fund these days isn't like a massive fund, right? Like that's like, you know, less than ten companies at oh. less than ten million dollars. Or I, I wish we had like pinky tracking and then like like one hundred million dollars, like. But you know, it's it's kind of like how they laughed at Doctor Evil and uh, Austin Powers when he was like one million dollars, so I don't nuke you or whatever. It's like a hundred million is great, and you know, it's definitely a positive thing for industry. But also, it's twenty twenty two, and there's like you know many billions of dollars going into biotech and other areas, and uh, yeah, hundred million is not that big of a fund comparatively, like you're saying. Yeah, unless they're doing like more seed ish stage, right? Um, that are you know, smaller checks and whatnot. Um, and I mean, I, I can't imagine their team, like if they're writing anywhere between five and $15 million, 
then their team must not be that big if it's, you know, a hundred million. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're making checks uh, that big for like all of them. Like that's, uh, they're going to use up their fund real quick. Like I think they at least probably want to make 20 or, you know, more than 20 investments. So uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is actually a good segue into our next story, which is maybe the reason why they made a new fund is because uh, this new article that came out uh, today um, of uh, alistdaily.com says that augmented and virtual reality headset shipments grew 92% in 2021. Um, and so 2021, 11 million units of AR and VR headsets shipped globally, according to new data from the International Data Corporation's Worldwide Quarterly AR VR Headset tra- uh, Tracker. So, you know, it is important to know, and Paul, Palmer Lucky always likes to point this out um, on, on Facebook and Twitter, uh, is that, you know, a lot of these are peer um, estimates and, and not necessarily exact fact per se. So it is, you know, it's, I like this international data corporation and their quarterly AR VR headset tracker. Like we don't know what exactly what the accuracy is like. So there's a a little bit of a margin of error. But that said, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is it definitely grew significantly, whether that was exactly 92% or not. Right. So, um, really awesome to see that type of growth. Um, that's, you know, nearly double. Right. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, if you keep doubling every year, uh, consistently, then you know, you're going to end up with, uh, you know, a huge amount of growth that's going to take people by surprise. And uh, yeah, I think we're kind of entering that era where, you know, you could, um, you know, just keep growing. And if, if next year it's 20 million and the year after it's 40 million, 80 and 160, it's like, yeah, you're going to get billions of people into VR by the end of the 2020s. Yeah, it says that um, in the article that um, majority of the growth was thanks to Meta's strong Quest 2 volumes, which accounted for 78% of the combined AR VR worldwide market, followed by DPVR. I don't know what DPVR is. Uh, and then followed by ByteDance Pico Neo products or Pico products at uh, 4.5%. DPVR, it's just like a different all-in-one headset. I can't believe I haven't really... That's 5%. Wow. up too much about this. Yeah, interesting. DPVR, P1 Ultra, 4K VR headset, wireless all-in-one. You know, this seems interesting, but yeah, um, haven't really heard of it. And again, this goes in with, you know, it's not really a, um, you know, Oculus or Vive headset or whatever. Like, these are all like, you know, a Qualcomm chip with a good screen and a couple lenses and some software that does tracking and some controllers. And the last story here that we want to talk about was Snap's acquisition of NextMind to drive augmented reality research. And NextMind is a uh, brain computing interface company um, that Snap just acquired. Um, and so, yeah, very interesting to see Snap continuing to make a lot of investments in AR and VR or AR mostly. Um, but, uh, you know, brain computing interface like voice commands and beyond is definitely a, a really great way to interact with things. Um, uh, you know, when it comes to, um, XR in general. So good to see that Snap's still making moves on that. I mean, Steve, I know we've, we've had some conversation about BCIs before. Uh, you know, one of yep. our fellow, what was it? Uh, Vivex companies was Neurable, which is a brain computing yep. interface company. I think they rebranded, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on this and and Snap? Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in um, you know, I, I guess uh, accessible input modalities, whether it be voice command or whether it be um, uh, things for people that might not 
you know, have hands. Um, but, it, and I think that these things benefit people with hands just as much as people without hands. Um, just having like different ways to interact with 3D environments. So I remember back in the day, I was looking at a sort of like face muscle movements and like, because, you know, we're wearing this like facial interface and it's really going around like our forehead and like the bottom of our eyes and, and really in this area where we have, you know, a lot of fidelity to, to kind of like mo- make minute facial movements. So I thought there'd be a lot of companies kind of picking up on that and making these, um, you know, different interfaces. But um, again, that's all on the muscle level. You know, you could try to get some brain uh, signals. The skull is really hard to get good signal through. And so um, I remember taking the classes at UC San Diego on a uh, virtual reality design. And, um, you know, really the best brain computer interfaces were invasive because you get good signal. And when you get good signal, you could, you know, both you know, train the system how to interact with you know, with your signals and you could train yourself how to produce better signals to get the right outcome that you want the robot arm or the virtual environment to do. So, um, yeah, I don't think most people want a, uh, you know, invasive brain computer interface unless you're paraplegic, you know, might actually be worth it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but I do think that there is going to be a technology wall with non-invasive brain computer interfaces, and uh, if we want really high fidelity, you need like Neuralink uh, or, or something like that. Yeah, I haven't seen like a compelling demo yet. I feel like in in modern XR in in uh, with BCIs personally. I mean, I just you know when I did the demo, it was cool, um, but I didn't really see like it felt like they were just doing gaze tracking plus some guessing. Uh, it was just kind of like. The my perception, I could just be in my very, I don't know, elementary, not so great take on it. But, um, you know, at the same time, I've like, there's been, there hasn't really been anything else that I could try, uh, when it comes to BCI. Um, you know, what's interesting, you know, you mentioned like facial muscles, right? Is that like technically the nervous system extends beyond just the brain, right? Like there's a central nervous system and there's like, what was it, the peripheral nervous system and things like that. And, and so, um, the armband tracking company that I think it was a control labs that Facebook bought or Metabot, um, you know, is that, you know, it, like it, it senses your muscle movements, which then enables you to control things in XR, which, um, you know, the people who have tried that demo have said that it was cool back in the day. So I'm not sure if that's technically considered BCI or not. I mean, it's an alternative input mechanism either way. Yeah, I, I don't think that's BCI. I mean, that, that's like muscular, um, I, I forget the, the term for it, but it's definitely like, yeah, a, a muscle type of input. And yeah, you could have hand controllers. Like at the end of the day, if you're going to call that a BCI, then like, you know, a, a mouse and keyboard is a BCI because my brain is moving my muscles to, to move that. And, um, yeah, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but, um, yeah, like, yeah, the really, the real BCIs are trying to read like, you know, beta waves and like different, um, signals coming from your brain. Um, but yeah, you got to either have a, really good connection to try to get some signal out of the noise um, or, or you're just going to you know get a lot of noise from you know the, the hair and just a lot of uh, you know stuff that gets caught between your brain and the sensor. Yeah, I mean, I have heard, I mean, like, uh, you know, that on a completely different side of things, right? Like um, Neuralink has had some success, right, with animal uh, like tests and whatnot, which is like really cool to see. I mean, like, 
that's I mean I want that as soon as possible. Yeah, well, I mean, 100%, if I was paraplegic or I had Parkinson's, like you know, I, if I had something where like the neural implant would like significantly improve my quality of life, I, I'd be in the the beta trials as, as soon as possible. Um, but I'm hoping that you know right now all the people with you know different um, disabilities or, or things like that that could benefit from Neuralink. Are probably going to be the first adopters because there's a medical reason. I'm sure insurance might even pay for some of the surgical implant costs and stuff like that. Uh, but eventually, right, you know, after you cure every paraplegic, uh, you know, re-enable their limbs or you know other types of things like that, I, you know, it, it could become a consumer technology where people could opt in that are completely healthy uh, to eventually do this. But yeah, I think that's uh, going to be a lot further away than just getting it for the medically relevant sure. people. Well, like, I mean, Steve, how do you see the the in the limit? Like, given that you have Neuralink that works, how do you see that? Because I mean, I already have an answer, which is why I'm asking you. But like, how do you see the interaction between XR and and like BCI? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate ultimate interface. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah that's the highest bandwidth interface I think you could have between human and machine is to just go direct, you know, brain computer interface. Like it's in, it's in the term, um, you know, being able to see things in virtual reality is great. Theoretically, if you had a Neuralink chip, you could have a virtual reality experience without a headset. That's just literally just like the chip giving you visual signals and like creating a 3d environment or even like an augmented reality uh, type of overlay experience in your real reality. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the brain is vastly complicated. It could do a ton of things. Like, you know, our, our entire reality is just constructed in our brain. You know, we kind of have limited amounts of sensors. You know, we have eyes which could see things in two dimensions and then reconstruct that in our 3D environment. And just so many things that our brain does with how we process reality. So you could completely distort that if you, uh, if you start doing some invasive uh, neuralink stuff, so yeah, it's it's a very powerful, very powerful. System. Yeah, but like, do, are you? Do you see yourself wearing XR devices and these, or do you see these as complementary, supplementary? Like, what's the yeah? So I'd say yeah, VR today, great. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, mixed reality, the next few years, I think that's going to roll out. You're going to have a pass through, um, you know, experiences, and could be Apple, could be some other players. Um, you know, obviously we use the Vario and the Vario is awesome. Um, so mixed reality, uh, eventually I, I do think the physics is going to work where you can miniaturize augmented reality with a wide field of view and have a really great experience that way. And then I think after that, you know, maybe even a fair bit after that, uh, the eventual thing is, uh, yeah, brain computer interfaces like that is. The- so, you, so it is, so you do think it's, uh, substitutionary. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it depends what your level of comfort could be and also what the technology is. Because, yeah, if you want to push it to the limit, like let's just say a hundred years, I do think it's substitutionary. But if you're going to push it to comparable time periods, like maybe 20, 30 years, then it could yeah. be uh, a side by side type so of So, my take on this is it's, it's neither substitutionary nor complementary. <laughs> um, because, because what Quite I want. Contra- contrarian. <laughs> Uh, well, what I want is like, or and what I foresee happening is that you know one of the first demos that Neuralink uh, showed was a monkey, or was it a monkey? Yeah, controlling a mouse 
on a screen. We're playing Pong, right? The the old school Pong video game from like the seventies where you have like yeah. a little uh, bar that you could uh move right. up and down to, right. to hit the ball to the other side. Right. Yeah. And so I think that what's gonna happen is um and like so it taught it, right? Like it was like you know showing how to do it and then mm-hmm. they took it away and then it was just thinking the thoughts and then it was happening. You know, I think they had some like joysticks and stuff. And so at like, first maybe yeah. yeah at first. And then I think they like unplugged the joysticks and then yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, they kept using it and you know, they would get like banana drip or apple juice or, you know, some sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. sweet sugary reward uh, smoothie. Yeah. When they, uh, you know, uh, won the game or, or, you know, hit the ball. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, eventually, yeah, they were playing it without, the uh, joystick plugged in, but they were still using the joystick. And right, then, right. Uh, and then they just took away the joystick, and the monkeys just yep. kept playing with their minds. So, yeah. so yeah. So, like, I want that extrapolated, but with AR and VR. And I think that, like, given you know, again, in the limit of BCIs, like, given that people easily have like hallucinations and see objects that aren't actually there. Like, I think that, like, a fully imaginary AR, like, that is taught by BCI, like, or, or even VR, like, is completely possible. Is that not what I was just talking about? Cause I mean, it sounds like you're saying, like, in the short term, it's a complementary, like, you know, modality of input or something yeah. like that. And then in the long term, it's a replacement where, you don't need VR. You're just doing like mind, but but you still get VR. VR. That's why I'm saying. It's yeah, like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like you still get VR or AR. It's just like through a mind hallucination instead of a yeah. visual interface. Yeah. So maybe we're we're, we're saying the I same thing in different words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the the the. But I still think that like in the installation process, if you will, of like a certain program, you'll use VR, and you still need to, you know, like I foresee a need for software companies that make these software experiences for this ultimate, you know, BCI experience. Well, well I think the interesting thing is going to be like the metaverse of this. And it's like some people are going to be BCI'd in, some people are going to be like you know, virtual reality, some people augmented reality, you know, but we're all going to be sharing these three-dimensional experiences. Right. Well, and then just like how we have our plugin system, like there's going to be, you, you're going to instantiate computations like within your brain like that your brain simply can't handle like your brain can't handle <laughs> crazy molecular dynamic simulation calculations right but but you can initiate that calculation like to a server and then like you know relay it back and then see the hallucination <laughs> of how that trajectory plays back um using a bci i think right so like that and then that data being computed and existing elsewhere um, is definitely going to be a thing, and it's going to be beautiful to see. So, but, but uh, I, I mean, if you were to predict uh, what year, what I'm talking about would be possible, what what year do you think it would be? Uh, I mean, again, like yeah, right now VR late 2020s. Like yeah, I think mixed reality is really going to dominate the 2020s until um, yeah, maybe late 2020s. Like augmented reality is going to kind of creep in and be like, yeah, it's here, it's good. Um, you know, into the 2030s, I think augmented reality is going to be improving a lot. Maybe even living alongside brain computer interfaces. Um, in the 2040s, I, I do think that BCIs might be a little bit more normalized, uh, but not perfect yet. And I think in the latter half of the 21st century, so I'm giving you like a 50 year window, you know, past 2050. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really going to be, um, 
big. Like I think there's going to be a lot of big breakthroughs there. And then I think by the time we hit the 22nd century, um, I, I think we're going to be very augmented cyborgy in, in a lot of different ways. And there's arguments to say that today we're somewhat of a cyborg with our, our phones and sort of our our minds uh, living in a you know internet web so page. In our, in our retirement homes, up, yeah. You know, sixty years from now, in our retirement homes, are we going to be? Are we going to be playing Pop One through BCI? Yeah, I, I think we're going to be playing Super Smash Brothers and Pop One oh through God. BCI. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's going to be like a you know a Switch emulator on the BCI. Yeah. And be like, hey. Well, what's crazy with BCI on that note? Like, if I am in truly a retirement home, like I could be totally matrixed out, where I have an out of body experience, where I'm I feel like I'm physically moving my body, but I'm actually not moving my physical body or I guess that's matrix like the actual matrix experience right like, yeah yeah maybe you just keep you know reliving your your 20s or <laughs> whatever you want to do uh, the the building nanom in the science metaverse is the loop that I'm stuck in <laughs> <laughs> just keep, keep rebuilding it Kata. oh my god like, wait wait did, did I already build this before <laughs> <laughs> if I did it again <laughs> it's, it's my knowledge this is our first attempt at yeah, this, yeah. You know? <laughs> Sam, Sam's like guys spatial recording is finally available and I'm like wait a minute <laughs> Is this a spatial recording? <laughs> <It's like, laughs> Nanum 2.0. Oh, by the way, that's another thing, actually, kind of semi housekeeping slash announcement, I guess, is that we did release a new blog post on, uh, well, first off, there's a new patch for Nanum 1.23.2. And we also released a new blog on Nanum 2.0 and the rest of the roadmap for 2020. Uh, too. So I think we should probably have Sam on, on the pod to talk a little bit about Nanom 2. I think that's going to be one. That's another thing too. I think this is a good place to wrap it up, but um, we are going to be um, bringing in more and more guests uh, in our podcast. And so we have a huge list of people that we're going to be reaching out to and it's going to be super exciting to have them on our pod. So uh, look out for that. Yeah, yeah, we should definitely be talking about uh, you know, Nanum 2.0 things with uh, Sam and the team on here. Uh, but also, yeah, a lot going on in the decentralized science space. Um, you know, happy to get some some more uh, you know agreeable people that also see the future of decentralized science and the science metaverse uh, onto the podcast. So um, yeah, yeah, stay tuned. We're gonna have some pretty cool guests coming on. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into this week's Science Metaverse podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. Yep. Thanks everyone, and see you in the metaverse.